Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Patricia Herrera, and you're listening to Sorry Partner. Hello and welcome to Sorry Partner, a podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with Mexican champion Patricia Herrera about structure, problem solving, cultural resilience, and how when she plays bridge with her father, he is her bridge partner first and dad second. Plus, she shares her top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Jocelyn, I'm really well. How are you? I'm doing well. I've got a funny story for you. Yay. (laughs) I was at the club last night, and my friend was sitting at the table, and there was a new person he didn't recognize. And he introduced himself and the new arrival said, I'm John, this is Andrew. And then my friend who happens to be the partnership chair at the club said, you know, welcome to the club. Is this your first time? And he said, yes, but I've just moved to San Francisco. So I expect to be around more. And my friend said, well, I'm the partnership chair. So if you ever need help finding a partner, just let me know. And the gentleman, the new arrival at the club said, oh, thank you very much. And afterwards, it turns out this new arrival was well-known champion, John Craniac. (laughs) And my friend was really tickled that he offered to help John Craniac find a bridge partner. (laughs) (laughs) If he ever was in need. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like he wouldn't be fending them off already. (laughs) Right. 
<laughs> but truth be told, he was playing with the juniors. Oh. He he's already he just moved here and he's playing with the juniors. It's just so wonderful to see. I mean, the opportunity these juniors are getting with these amazing players, it is fantastic. It does make me wish that I had done something like this as a kid, that I could be one of those kids. And I think we all feel that way. Absolutely. The, you know, to get to play with these people and to have that, those kinds of memories and abilities that you have when you're young and, it's you know, setting down those pathways Yeah. Uh, for the game. I mean, I'm just I'm envious of them for so many different reasons. Yes. It also made me think about the whole notion of mentorship and I, th I think I project onto that situation the idea that the the expert player would also be particularly patient and kind to that young player, and um, I realize part of my envy is just that if I was if I'm playing in a mentored <laughs> situation, I don't always assume the person who is mentoring me is going to be quite so so warm and generous. Which says something about the whole mentorship relationship more generally, I think. I would like to be mentored in a way someone might mentor a child. Yes, indeed. I agree. You know, that quiet encouragement, that warmth, that friendliness. Though who knows, maybe Cranyak's a monster at the table with those kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can always ask the kids. <laughs> no, it's very nice. It's It's lovely and it seems your club has a large contingent of these champion players who are doing their best to bring along the juniors. Yeah, we're really, really lucky. And now it's time for Club Quell. Club in the spotlight. Hi, I'm Leslie. And I'm Kathy. We're, we're partners, partners at the Santa Cruz Bridge Club. Santa Cruz is located on the beautiful central coast of California. We have mild coastal weather, great surf, sand, redwood forests, and the historic Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. We're a local club with a welcoming attitude. Our members are able to play bridge games at every level. We've started a duplicate game, introducing beginner players to the fun of duplicate bridge. Players with intermediate skills can enjoy a weekly 499er game or the twice-monthly Pro-Am game giving amateur players a chance to see how our pros bid and play the hands. Several open games are played during the week. We call the Wednesday evening open game Wind Down Wednesday. It draws players of all level, and it's a ton of fun. It's tons of fun because they drink too much wine, Kathy? Oh, maybe. Sunday Bridge and Brunch is held once a month. The brunch is prepared by one of our own members who is also a gourmet chef. You gotta RSVP early. This game gets crowded. The best thing about Santa Cruz Bridge Club is the camaraderie. Many members at our club have developed longtime friendships both in and outside of our club. Come, Come visit, visit us on, on the, the Central, Central Coast. Coast. We'd, We'd love, love to, to play, play bridge, bridge with, with you. you. Thanks, partner. Thanks, partner. So come on down. Email us if you'd like to quell about your club. Club in the spotlight. I'm quelling. Four letters today, Jocelyn. Two from the recent nationals in Atlanta and two related directly to our previous episode about bridge quirks. So, letter number one from Tony in the UK. Hi, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Tony. 
Tony writes to us about a Swiss Teams event. He says, for the benefit of some of your listeners, I need to explain that in the Swiss and NABC, there are no bridge mates and the boards are hand-dealt and not pre-dealt, which to us from Europe seems a bit out of date. In match number five, we were playing at the same table as match four, and so we were playing the same re-dealt boards. On the seventh board, which had already been played at the other table, I picked up a balanced and nondescript nine-point hand, and after a short auction with our side silent, my partner led to one no trump. Being slow, it was only after about four tricks that I started to realise that I'd seen the same boring hand as a defender in the last match. Oh, no. And it looked like the board had not been re-dealt. And as the tricks unfolded, any doubt in my mind went away. This was the very same board. It had not been re-dealt. We had previously defended one no Trump after the same auction, and it went down one. But this time it made when Declara took a battle line. Not sure what to do, I waited until the end of play and called the director. Declara thought this was very unfair as she played well and was pleased to have made one no trump. She sure did, yeah. <laughs> and it looked like I was trying to take that away from her, which I assume you weren't, Tony. <laughs> the director arrived and I explained that we had played the board in the previous match. The hand had not been redealt. My partner, he says in brackets, finally agreed, and the director said that as the hand was played at the other table already, he would ask them what happened. Shortly afterwards, he returned with the news that all four players at the other table insisted that the board had been dealt and was not the same, and that the contract there was different anyway. He doesn't say what it was. The director ruled that the results at the two tables should stand, and this certainly pleased Declara at our table, who felt that she had won the appeal. When we came to score up, it was close. On the disputed board, we were down 90, going with plus 200 at the other table. So we gained three imps and won the match by two imps. Oh, wow. And so my story is that we won a match at an NABC because of a board that was not redealt. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. Well, you know, sometimes you're supposed to shuffle and sometimes you're not. Yeah. Is it possible that you could shuffle and redeal and end up? I mean, it seems like it's one in a infinity that you'd get the same hand. Yeah. I mean, it's some astronomical. astronomical. Yeah. I suspect that he was right. That maybe they were just, you know, you play so many boards, maybe people were tired. Either that or, Tony, you just had a fade out. It was a one-no hand. It looks similar. And there you go. Or it was deja vu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. It's just, it's crazy. It's so crazy. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad it worked out for Tony. Absolutely. Way to go, Tony. <laughs> of course, you know, feel bad for the other people. <laughs> Having it every which way. Our next letter, Jocelyn, is also from the Atlanta Nationals. This letter is from our good friend Frank in New Jersey. Hey, Frank. Hey, Frank. At the Atlanta Nationals, my partner and I played seven boards against David Berkowitz and Jeff Mextroth. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. On one board, as South, I opened one diamond. Berkowitz bid one heart. My partner said two hearts and Mextroth bid three diamonds. 
which was alerted as a limit raise, usually three pieces. After considering three no trump, I passed. Berkowitz bid three hearts, my partner bid four clubs, and I bid five diamonds, which was down one. In between hands, Mextroth and Berkowitz were talking, and I heard Mextroth say that in their system, three diamonds is actually a mixed raise. I called the director, thinking that with correct information, we might have bid and made three no trump. While the director was off consulting, Mextroth left the table and Berkowitz pointed out to me that three no trump goes down too, as perhaps it did at the other table. So there was no change. When Mextroth returned, Berkowitz told him that the director had changed the result to three no trump down too, which Mextroth seemed to believe until Berkowitz told him he was joking. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. Thank you, David. That's hilarious. <laughs> Gaslighting the big big guns. Oh, that's just great. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> hilarious. You wouldn't think that they'd be vulnerable to such a silly joke. You know, you just think extra. I think, come on, but no. <laughs> what a prankster. <laughs> what a prankster. That's great. Our next letter is from Midge in Pennsylvania. And Midge is picking up on the theme of our last episode about bridge quirks. Hi, Jocelyn and Catherine. I started thinking about my bridge quirks and wondered if others have quirks about what direction they sit. Mm. Yeah. Mm. My favourite seat is east. I consider it the lazy position. North has to do the bridge mate, south has to move boards, and west has to accept the score. So east can sit back and let others do the work. I never knew that West is designated score checker, but that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Maybe it's because most people, well, I think, are right-handed, and so they just hand the bridge mate to the right. Yeah, that makes sense. I have a partner who always gives it to the person who, who wants it, who looks like they want it least. <laughs> <laughs> that's their policy. That's their policy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, please continue with the, the quirky story. <laughs> she says many players like to sit north-south at our club because if there's a sit-out, it's usually east-west. If we do a howl movement, I'll choose to sit north and east. I'm terrible at sitting west and approving the score. I just hit the accept button, hardly <laughs> looking at what was entered. I'm too busy thinking about what I should have done on the hand. Just finish. Unless you get a good score, in which case you definitely want to make sure got recorded. <laughs> yeah. I know some players who are quite superstitious about what direction they sit. One friend of mine will not sit east. She considers it bad luck. I do have a sort of superstition. The day I became life master, I bought a pair of earrings to commemorate the event. I consider them my good luck earrings, and if I need some special luck at a bridge event, I'll wear them. It just <laughs> gives me a little confidence. <laughs> And Midge has sent us a picture of the earrings, so we'll post them on <laughs> Insta. <laughs> Our final letter this week, also on the theme of bridge quirks, is from John in Boston. Hey, John. Hey, John. Hello, Catherine and Jocelyn. Your November 30 episode brought up something related to me regarding quirks. I don't sit on my score sheet. I put it in my lap. After drawing my cards from the board, I count my cards by peeling off the top three and put them on the table, peel off three more and put them on top of the previous three, 
peel off three more and put them on top of the previous six, and finally count off the last four and bunch them all together. Counting to 13 is quite difficult. (laughs) Yes, we know. (laughs) For some of us especially so. (laughs) Does everyone shuffle their cards before returning them to the board? It's such a habit for me that I don't even notice what others do. Then I have my own personal bridge song, the theme to Mission Impossible. (laughs) I often play it in my car and always think about it before each game. Of course, I play it many times during a sectional or regional. Your fan, John. So this this makes me think of two things, Jocelyn. First of all, I notice that you count your cards in a particular way. Do I think I do something three, 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 one. Right. So it's similar. It's very similar to John. Yes. I'll be sitting there just like counting mine in my hand and then you'll you'll have your your parcel. I'm always interested in it. A parcel. Hmm, like a present. Well. Have you always done that or did you acquire it from witnessing someone do it? I don't know. As far as I can remember, I've always done it, but I... It can't be the case. Like when I first started, I probably, I probably didn't, but I got into the habit because sometimes there's not the right number and then you've looked at the cards and it's like, you know, whatever. So yeah, I don't know, but I do it like John pretty much. Yeah. I guess too, because visually you can, you you know, we can detect three very quickly. So if you've got them three, 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 you can see straight away that you've got the right number. Yeah. It's interesting. Hmm. And then the other thing is, do you have a bridge theme song? Well, I was just thinking, maybe we are the champions. <laughs> but actually, that's not. It's like, yeah, no. Um, that would be, if I were a different kind of person, um, that would be my theme song. Um, you know, maybe Desperado or... <laughs> uh, I'll, have to think of, I'll have to think of one that matches my, my mindset my psyche. We might need to come up with a playlist. Yeah, that sounds good. So if you have any fun stories about shuffling, or maybe not shuffling when when you should, or fun pranks at the bridge table, and of course, we're always interested in quirky quirks, the quirkier the better. And if you have a theme song that you have playing in your head or maybe you listen to before a match, we'd love to hear about that. You can find all our contact details on the website along with some other good stuff. Coming up next, our interview with Patricia Herrera. Mexican champion Patricia Herrera is the president of the Mexican Bridge Federation. She is a two-time winner of the Mexican Open Pairs Championship. She was part of the 2016 Open team that represented Mexico in the 15th World Bridge Games, finished second in the 2020 Transnational Online Mixed Teams, came in third in the 2022 Mixed Pairs at the South American Championship, and placed second at the 2023 Bolivariano Championship. She is the ACBL District 16 Education Coordinator, a board member of the ACBL Education Foundation, 
and the tournament chair of the Acapulco Regional Tournament. When she is not playing bridge, she runs Pontus, a consulting company for nonprofit organizations based in Mexico City. We began by asking if she'd had any interesting hands lately. Well, there's a couple of hands that I can think of. This is funny because it was like a Latin American team. I was playing with my partner, Rodrigo da Rosa from Uruguay. And my teammates were Francisco Bernal from Colombia and Maxi Crucicio from Argentina. And we were playing the team that was leading the regional. This is a Puerto Vallarta regional in Mexico before the pandemic. And it was at my table, I was playing against Ish Del Monte and Kevin Dwyer. And at the other side were in my seat was Brad Moss. And he was playing, I think, with Jeff Hansen. Basically, long story short, everybody told me that I should write the hand down and publish it on the bulletin. And I should have done that because, you know, I don't remember the hand exactly. I remember I held six diamonds, five hearts, each with an ace and a couple of clubs. And that was it, right? At my table, they landed, Ish and Kevin, in four spades, just making. At the other table, I don't know how they started to compete. Well, I think I know how because it was Brad Moss in my seat. And they ended up playing seven diamonds, doubled, making. Wow. Yes. Basically, the defense had to choose between leading two aces. If it had chosen the right ace, so to speak, but with no info, the contract would have been down. Yeah. It chose the wrong one for me. So I think we lost 22 imps in one single board. Wow. Yes. When you said sitting in my seat was Brad Moss, so I know how the auction started. What does that mean? I think Brad is one of the most talented players of, you know, all times, not only our times, right? And he's a, well, I think we all know Brad. He's very smart and also he's very, he's very brave, right? And he has a great reading about the table. He knows which sacrifices to make. You know, at first you can even think that it's just randomly that he does this stuff. But then you see him winning so much, right? And every time I convince him that you're like, he really knows how to read the table. It's not only his rich knowledge, right? But he has like a sixth sense, you know, that I really envy in a very good way. So did he open five diamonds or something or? No, I think he opened, uh, well, this is another part of the story. He opened two diamonds with my hand, which I should have. But I was late to the round because I have this tendency to go to the bathroom every (laughs) single round. Anyways, and the cards were very old and I just counted my points. I saw eight and I didn't realize that I had six times. I don't know why my hand was so red. I should have. I don't know. It was one of my mistakes. But even like that, my partner managed to beat hearts and I supported them. And, you know, but at some point we stopped at four spades. I mean, I have eight points. I have two aces. My partner be the hearts first. I, I'm pretty sure they were in hard. Like, I didn't feel we were red. I didn't feel that we can go up, right? Without, like, I didn't want to come back with an 800 just because I didn't let them made whatever, 420. And actually, the contract is down too. Like, the seven diamonds are down too. So it wasn't that crazy, let's say, to stop at four spades. But the thing is, literally, it was on the lead. And it was choosing between two aces, but really not a lot of info. The spade or the club. And they chose the spade. Yes, exactly. Yeah. When you're playing opposite someone like Brad, does it begin to affect the way you think about your own game? Like, do you start thinking, oh, I should take more risks or I should start playing in a, in a way more influenced by his style? 
you know what? I'm one of those players that tries not to do that. I try to be consistent and solid because what the thing that I focus the most on is my partnership, right? My partner knows me. I know my partner. And even let's say if it's pickup partners and Rodrigo is not a pickup partner, you know, because all the Latin community sort of we know each other, but we haven't played that much, but we sort of know our own style. So for me, it's more important to think about my partner than my opponents, because then I think you really lose focus, right? I never see it at the table. And I think that I'm losing, by the way, even if it's against that team. In this situation, we lost by like not that much. We lost by less than those 22 imps. And with the right lead, right? You know what I mean? That that wouldn't be yeah, a swing like have, that. You would have won. Yeah, so yeah. I never think that I'm losing. Actually, the first event that I won, which was 10 years ago, it was my the first tournament that I went to. It was a knockout. I was not even an, um, a live master. And I was playing all these names that if I mention them now, you know, I mean, for me, it was blah, 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 blah. But my dad, I was playing with my dad. My dad knew who they were. And, you know... I, Everybody knew they were good players. I knew because people would come and ask them questions and this and that. Long story short, we doubled the first five contracts, partials, right? And that gave us such a big edge. And we ended up winning a, a, a knockout in, in Vegas. And, you know, regionals and sectionals in Vegas are super difficult because a lot of pros live there, right? And the level in Vegas is better than in other places. So I was playing with my dad. My dad, on the other side of the table, my teammates were Miguel Regadas, which was my dad's bridge partner for 58 years. And his client, who was also a non-life master, so everybody saw two non-life masters and they thought, you know, we were easy to beat. And we actually won but quite a lot. It was the first time that I traveled for bridge, I mean, to compete. Just going to cut in here. Can you just tell our listeners who your dad is? We know, obviously, but just for the oh. occasional person who might not. Well, my, my dad's name is Gonzalo Herrera and um, is considered, well, Mexico's best player and First of all, he's a fantastic dad, not that he's related to this podcast, but I have to mention it because it's what he is, <laughs> and that he's an amazing bridge player. So you were playing your first tournament with your dad. Yeah, he decided, he was like, I want to bring you to Vegas to a tournament. And I said, that, that's a terrible idea. And he was like, why? And I said, because I don't know how to play bridge. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, you, you know. And I was like, no, not really. I was born and raised with you and my mom. My mom is a bridge teacher, by the way. And uh, she doesn't travel for bridge, but, you know, that's all she does. And I was like, do you think I know because I was raised like in this place? But no, I really don't. I mean, one thing is that I, you know, and I really started playing just maybe a year before that. Not even long before that, right? Because I hated bridge. I'm a bridge baby. I was born and raised at the bridge claw. So I really promised myself I would never become one of them. <laughs> them. Uh -oh. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. So cutting back to Vegas, when you were becoming one of them. Yes, well. <laughs> <laughs> Winning helped. Winning helped. Winning helped. So you were up against all these pros. Yes. That's what I said. I have my agreements and I have to stick to them. And whatever I think the hand brings, it's what I bid or defend or lead or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, this is what I need to do. And actually has been like a very good lesson and reminder to myself, you know. I try to focus on my own game and on my partnership. I believe in the power of partnerships more than anything. Uh, it, it surprises me and not not to see that many strong partnerships in bridge, right? You, you see players switching partnerships all the time, and it goes beyond the client and pro relationship. I guess it's hard to keep a good partnership, but I think once you have one of those, it's so strong, right? 
that it's almost, it's not that you become unbeatable, that doesn't exist, especially in bridge. A good partnership is so strong, right? It's something that we all should um, look forward. Sometimes I feel that us bridge players are looking forward to being the best bridge player. And I really want to be like the best partnership with whomever my partner is. So what are the secrets to forming and maintaining a strong partnership? Oh, well, I wish I, I would, uh, I would, I have the recipe for that, uh, but I think it has to be based on communication. I think two, two things strike me. First is good communication. You should be able to communicate. That includes knowing the timing for communication. Usually the bridge table is not a great place to communicate about a partnership with your partner. And I've seen that so many times, right? It happened to me. I was playing in Marrakesh this year and there was this partnership. I was playing the mix. I don't know if they were married or not. It seemed like they were married. He was yelling at her so bad that I shut down, you know, the screen so many times trying to send a message like, no, you don't do that. And I wish she had done it herself, but like, it's difficult. So communicating, I think, is part of it. The other one is not being rude. Your partner wants to win as much as you do. If you're really playing with a partner that you think doesn't want to win and wants to ruin the game, just stop playing with that partner. But like yelling is not going to get you anywhere. And believe me, I'm Latin. I'm very passionate. Like my, my, my tummy burns. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm hot-blooded and everything. But it's one of the lessons of the game. You have to keep composure, no matter what. To begin with, the first person that you want to kill, or at least myself, it's myself when I make a mistake. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's the first person that I have to say, please don't get upset at yourself. Let it go. It's just upward. You know, this is just a game. You have more opportunities, all that. So why do that to your partner, mm. right? We're humans. So have you and your partner talked about the nuts and bolts of your partnership, like how you like to communicate with each other? Like, do, or do you, do you have regular meetings or how is it organized? Well, it's funny because when your dad is one of your main partners, it's like a process. We are, I think we're in a better place now than we were before. Because at the beginning, when I literally didn't know how to play, like, you know, he, he was very patient. Because he knew, like, I couldn't play. Then he saw my potential. And that's what he says. And he kept getting frustrated if I make mistakes. Because in his mind, and he kept telling me, you can do better than this. And I was like, well, apparently not. <laughs> so we set up some ground rules, including at the table, you can choose to be my dad or my partner. You can't be both. And so now he's your partner at the table? Yeah, because once I got upset and I said something and he said, is that the way you talk to your dad? And I said, you're right. You know, it's wrong. I shouldn't talk to you like that. I was like, you can't be both at the table. I cannot, and I cannot be both. So at the bridge table, we're partners. We treat each other with respect. You know what I mean? But I think there's, and this goes, I guess, for people, you know, marriages and people like that or best friends. I think you need to set certain boundaries because when you sit at the table and you pull out the card, then you become a bridge player. Yeah. Right? And that also involves, I was telling you about two things. One is communication. is the ego, right? Ego is, can be a traitor. Like it's a, it's a good engine, right? But it's also a traitor because the ego makes us do things that we don't want to do, like trying to pretend that we're the absolutely most intelligent and powerful person and player in the world. And we're not. <laughs> no one is. You know what I mean? <laughs> so we, we must not let our egos get in the way. And that's something that a partnership le needs, but you need to do it for yourself and your partner needs it for yourself. So let's say on the other side of the spectrum, I play with a junior player which I absolutely love. And we do communicate about how we like to communicate in regards to our partnership. Okay. So we literally talk about what frustrates us 
communication wise. And what what sorts of things do frustrate you or them when you're playing together? Well, I think it for all my non-Spanish speaker players, it can be frustrating that for me when they give me a hand in English and everything, it takes me time or I need to write it down. Like I'm not as quick because I'm thinking in Spanish. It's the only thing that I translate. So for example, this partner told me, with you, I'm going to put everything in writing, please. And I said, fine, I can do that. Actually, it's easier for me, right? That makes sense. Yeah. But I also told him, but once we've done that, and sometimes because we don't live in the same city, we Zoom over hands or games or something. I was like, okay, whatever you want to send me in regards to notes, I'll read everything you send me, but I do need to have a dialogue and conversation. And so what's a dialogue? Half of it is technical stuff, conventions or systems or things we want to go over, yes, and why, or we're going to change this, or why it's better to do this, or defense against precision, or, you know, whatever. And the other one, it's actually about why, what um, our expectations are at the table. Let's say why we, if we encounter a top team or a word to seat, or like, for example, I don't have preferences. I don't mind sitting north, south, east, west, or against anybody. You know, I don't have any of those, right? But some partners do, or some teammates do. So sometimes we discuss that and we had to make a, even the, the team feel better. For me, team dynamics are very important. Even if I'm not the captain, I'd like to talk to my partner about it. Has there ever been a particularly strange or unexpected request in terms of how they like to be communicated with or how they like your partnership to be organized? No, at least not serious. You know, when somebody's upset, it's like, I never want to talk to you about this again, <laughs> which is very weird, but I know it's not true either. But I, I think it is good to discuss, right? For example, I'm the kind of person that I would, I, I hate being talked in the middle of like of, of, of a game about, oh, from now on, let's change. I'm like, no, our card is a card till we finish the session at least. For example, for me, that's a no-no and they know it in advance. So you're really clear about what you want to happen in terms of your partnership dynamics before you go in and no misunderstandings. I have to say with my serious partnerships, you know, sometimes when you play with friends a game, I mean, I'm super, super flexible about everything. I usually am flexible about everything, but you know what I mean? But I think a partnership, it's just something that you need to build on. I don't think it's naturally... Yeah, I don't think it naturally occurs. Mm. And if it does for some people, that's fantastic. But I think there's not so much. A, people put a lot of attention in, into the technical stuff, part of bridge, but not into the psychological part of it, right? That includes a good partnership. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Speaking of one of your more regular partnerships, maybe this new one with the junior player or somebody else that you, you've played with for a while, what do you think they would say is your biggest strength when it comes to your bridge? Well, they tell me two things. One calls me the trick taker. <laughs> the trick stealer, yes. That's not a bad, not a bad thing. The trick stealer. <laughs> Like people don't even know what you're doing and suddenly boom, you know, you end up with all these tricks in your hand. And also they praise my defense because my weakest link is my bidding. I know it, but I love to defend. You know how people are like, oh, I've only played one hand or two. I'm so happy. I mean, I like playing the hands, but there's nothing that I like more than defending. Wow. Were you always a big fan of being a defender? No, not at all, because at the beginning I didn't even understand. You know, it's like so when you hard. start, like defending is like, a, you know, you lead what sort of like a, you're praying for a sequence so that you can lead the sequence. You know what I mean? It's so hard to defend. But then, I mean, I started reading and then I was like, my God, this is like the play of the hand, but without seeing, I mean, without, of course, seeing dummy, but not my part. Right. So I just need to count the number of tricks I, I think I'm going to take with my partner. I need to read the signals and I read like and I, and I started loving it and I and I really love to defend. Is there a particular book that you thought most helped your defense? I hope the name comes out correctly, but it's something like a reading your opponent's hand. Oh, how to read your opponent's cards. Yes. I love that book. The other book that I really like is called Test Your Bridge Play by Eddie Cantor. He has, I think, volume one and two, and I have the two of them. If there's a third, please email me and let me know. <laughs> <laughs> and I will. Lo I, I love to go over... I know it's the same hands that I've read before, but since I haven't read them in a long time, they still represent a challenge. And also, there's something, it's not memorization about repetition in numbers. I'm an engineer, right? And once, I don't know why I ended up doing a paper on how to teach math. And one of the things that they tell you is that is going over the same problems sometimes creates certain connections in the brain that help you develop a better judgment. So that's why I go over also like the same books. Because I, I feel that the principle applies. I don't have any research backing this up. But, you know, being an engineer and doing that throughout like the five years that I went to engineering school, I found that very useful in Bridge as well. Is there a particular style of problem that comes up at the table that you know that you feel that you need to work on? You know, do you go back to the same kinds of defense problems again and again just to try and get that track laid down in your mind? Sometimes I do, but actually one of my partners, my junior partner, we do that, right? So we practice specific things, and usually it's about defense, but usually no. I also use Bridge Master from BBO, you know, like things like that. Sometimes it's hard to identify the specific weakness you're having, right? Sometimes it's easy, but sometimes it's hard. When it's easy and I'm seeing it, I try to do that. And actually this partner helps me a lot. And when it's just, a, or, or my dad or whomever, you know, I just ask, friends and, and people and players, you know, there's so many resources. You said that defense is now your favorite part of the game. Did you have a light bulb moment, something that just clicked into place where suddenly defense 
became an area of the game that you felt you you now understood better than you did before. How did that transition happen? How did it happen that you started to love defense? Not just, I know you said you read, but something must have clicked. I think so. My dad also loves it. I think that's what it was. We play attitude, defense attitude leads and attitude uh, carding, which is not that common. So that led to a lot of explanation and people begging me to play upside down, count an attitude and the count and you didn't give me the count. You know, at the beginning with my dad, we played very little count, but now we are back to the point where we play none, right? Everything is attitude because attitude also allows you to count. So we had many, my dad and I, discussions about it, me mostly asking him what was the logic behind. So when I started defending, like I said, it was like high you like, low you don't like. That's everything my dad said. And it frustrated me personally that I didn't understand more. I asked my dad, what do I need to do to really understand, right? Because sometimes even with suit preference, I mean, I need to know which which one is the right what is what I want? Like, it, it cannot be also always following sort of like your lead on defense. And he was like, sweetie, well, counting. Like, I don't mean, you know how to count to 13. Now do it many times, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> yes. So that's when it started to click and I started to realize and I said, okay, this is my hand. This was the bidding. So this must be happening. I'm seeing dummy at this point, right? Even if I leather up, I'm on the you know other side of the lead, you know. And I said, okay, this makes sense because of that. My dad can only have at this point like maybe four points. Maybe that's an ace. Maybe because of the auction, my hand this. And suddenly, it's sort of like the puzzle gets resolved, you know, on the Candy Crush or what kind of thing, you know, that you hit the, the golden <laughs> jewel and suddenly, you know, everything flashes and becomes beautiful. I think that happens with defense. At some point, you just solve the puzzle. Do you think that your ability to solve that puzzle and that happened fairly quickly in your bridge career, it sounds like, might be related to ability with engineering, your ability to see the structure, the spatial reasoning? I think so. And you know what? Being Mexican, we are very, I don't know if you've been to Mexico, we're very creative and resilient people. Or everything, right? I say it as a joke, but it's true. I don't know why we don't rule the world, you know, because we come up with a with a very creative solutions for everything. I think all, every single Mexican is an engineer at its core, you know, and we're always trying to find a way out and find how to make things happen. Problem solving. Yes, but with limited resources. Let's put it that way. I don't think anybody loves Mexico more than me. And I think it's the most beautiful country in the world and the most fun, but we have our challenges, right? And that turned us into being very resilient and creative. We always find solutions in a very funky way, let's put it that way. And I think that contributed, really. Same as my as my engineer background, I think it contributed that in here you have to be very creative for certain things. I also live in Mexico City. We're 25 million people, right? So, like, you sort of need to... I don't want to say defense because people are very nice. It's not defense like that, but you have to be creative to get the things that you want. I'm going to tell you, I don't, I don't know if it's going in or not. Andre Breton, you know, the father of surrealism, he said that the most surreal country in the world was Mexico. <laughs> and nobody did it true. <laughs> in a good way. That's why, that's why it's so much fun. And having fun is not a bad thing at the bridge table. Oh, yeah. I agree. And not everybody has that much fun. The day I stop having fun at a bridge table, I think I would stop playing. Yeah, I agree. 
even though some people do it professionally or some people do it for fun or a combination of boats or whatever the reason, I don't find it logical to do something that you don't have fun at. It must be torture. Speaking of, of fun, do you have a favorite tournament that you really love? I think everybody knows which one that is. <laughs> it's the Puerto Vallarta tournament in Mexico. It's not a large regional, but for Mexico, it's our largest tournament. And my God, it's so much fun. They do such a fantastic job organizing it. A funny thing is that people think I organize it, but I don't. I'm just a player there, but I love it so much. And yes, it is so much fun. I don't know. People are usually relaxed and happy and tidying it up to what we said. They all say it's Mexico. And because they identify the Mexican culture with this uh, idea of fun and happiness, no matter what, right? So people show up at the table actually happy and they make jokes. And uh, of course, it's competitive and you have fantastic players. I mean, the hand that I just told you about happened in Puerto Vallarta, right? So we have these very strong teams and world champions and everything. But it's a laid back atmosphere. Even the prizes people love, they give out these t-shirts with the Mexican skulls, you know, for Day of the Dead, because it's always around Day of the Dead. And tequila bottles and everybody's like, wow, we, we love the tournament. And I really, it's my favorite. Sometimes I think I started going to that tournament before I played bridge. I used to go just because my dad was playing and I could be hang out by the beach, literally. And sometimes I question myself if that's the reason why I started playing. Because it's just so beautiful. Yeah, I saw another uh, face of bridge. I saw that it was fun. People from where I am from San Francisco go to that tournament a lot. Yes. They love it. Yeah. Yes, we have our first share of San Franciscans. I need to come. Well, you're more than welcome. Oh, we have funky. You were talking about requests. We have funky requests. In the, in the most loving way, I'm saying that without mentioning names, but there's a bat. For us, they're good because they eat the box, right? So if there's a bat in the room, you're actually happy. But not, okay, yeah. maybe I won't. <laughs> yes, yes. Last year, somebody said, Patricia, thank you so much. We're loving this tournament. We want to come back next year. But can I can I ask you something? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever you need, I'll try to make it happen, right? Because I'm also good friends with the organizers. And this person was like, can you get rid of the bat for next year? <laughs> and I'm like, well, oh. it's not like we're best friends and they listen to me, but I'll try. But I, I didn't succeed at that. It was still there this year. Hopefully next year we'll do something because I can understand how it freaks people out. <laughs> Well, don't they like they can get in your hair? Yeah, but I mean, but they don't want to. They don't want to. Okay. Yeah. Right. They they come out at night. They actually are quite unhappy inside. The best thing is to let them like go outside, which is where, where they belong. But, you know, sometimes they get confused and get in. Hmm. And they don't want to play bridge. <laughs> I don't think so. They're blind. So like that would represent an extra <laughs> challenge for them. Also, they want us. It's full of iguanas, but people love those. They want us also don't want to play bridge. <laughs> so when you go to a tournament like Puerto Vallarta, you're wanting to do well, but you are wanting also to have a nice time. Do you balance your bridge calendar with events so that some of them are fun and some of them are more competitive? Are there some that you look forward to just because of the level of competition? What are the priorities for you? Oh, it, that is a fantastic question. Actually, just to answer first, the Vallarta tournament, it starts at 1.30 p.m. playtime. People love, like, I'm very social and I can hang out, but I love to sleep. So I never go too late to bed. And I sleep a lot because I can, right? And I, I can wake up at 11 and it's okay. 
So that's how I balance that. But yes, I do believe, and I think that's a mistake among most players that I know, they don't know how to distinguish between fun bridge, competitive but fun, you know, and competitive. They think that every single thing from kitchen bridge to the world championship to a national, everything has to be like super serious. And I think that's sort of like killing the game to some extent, right? Let's try to play well every single time. Even tournaments like this are like training, right, for tougher stuff. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't do what I do in Vallarta, which is not a lot, but, you know, we go to the bar together or to some parties every single night. I wouldn't do that at a world championship or a national. You know, you can do a little bit of everything, and that's what I try to do. Vallarta is my vacation. Like, for me, that's the most fantastic week of, a, of the year. I used to, well, I did for two years. I hosted a regional in Acapulco now because of the hurricane. I won't be able to do it next year. It's not going to be ready. I think I'm moving it to Mexico City. And that one, for example, is not so much that I want to like just have fun. It's just I have so much to do that I know that my bridge cannot be the best possible one, right? Because I'm dealing with all these things, even when I'm playing. But uh, nevertheless, I found partners nice enough to play with me, knowing that I will be busy. What is the most unusual place you've played? Well, I have one, and this happened also like a couple of weeks ago. In Mexico, we host a race, a Formula One race, that it's the most attended Grand Prix in the world, and also was voted the best one, Mexican Fiesta, totally. And this year, Jan and Aida Jansman, my friends, they came because Aida loves, well, Jan too, but Aida more than Jan. They love Formula One. So it was Aida, Jan, my dad, and myself. And first, there was a yellow flag, which makes drivers so slow, and there, there was a red flag, which suspends the race, right? So in the middle of the race, the race gets stopped, and Jan literally turns and says, what are we going to do? This is so boring. We have to wait. Oh, hold on. I have a deck of cards. <laughs> and in the middle, yeah, yeah, we were lucky because people went out like to get sodas. So my dad sat in his place. I didn't hear. I was playing with Jan. We were both standing. And we're in the middle of the racetrack, along with 170,000 people, beating and playing bridge hands, you know. And the funniest thing is, like, somebody took a picture of my dad playing. I don't know how. It went viral, and it made it back to my dad, like, a week after that. Somebody sent it so and funny. said, my God, some people are crazy. They're playing cards in the middle of the Formula One race. <laughs> but in our defense, it was during the red flag. Right. Right. So yeah, you had to sit there and kill time. And yeah, and Checo was way. out of the yeah. of the race at this point. So you know. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's highly unusual. But Jan doesn't travel without a deck, so if he's around, you can play rich anywhere. Smart. Yes, he is. What is the funniest thing that's ever happened to you when you were playing bridge? I have to say that once at the Vajerta tournament, okay, there was this player who I'm friends with. And I knew he had emergency heart surgery at the Toronto National the summer before. This is maybe two or three months before the Vallarta Regional. He showed up. We were so happy. You look so healthy, blah, 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 right? Yeah. But we knew his health was delicate, so to speak. So in Vallarta, there's like sort of like the playing area. Then there's this big alley. And then you have like sort of to make a left to go to the bathroom. So in the middle of the game, I'm dummy. I go to the bathroom. I come back. And I see this player lying on the floor. He passed out. Probably his blood pressure went down. Something not serious. Right now I know that. I didn't know that. He's super pale. He's not moving. He's laying down like a dead person in a coffin, mm -hmm. literally. 
I go there. I call his name. I'm on the floor. I'm like, you know, trying to get him to awake and he doesn't move. He doesn't say anything. So I start freaking out, thinking he's dead. <laughs> I leave him on on that on the hallway, right? I enter the playing area looking for a doctor. And I said, you know, this person, something's wrong. Please come and help me, you know. At the same time, this person wakes up. He knows he passes out. Doesn't remember even seeing me. Doesn't know that I was there, that I saw him, that I called him. <laughs> Comes back to the playing area. He's, he was also coming back from the restroom <laughs> and walks right past by me. And I'm like, I, start, I saw him and I started yelling and I never yelled like, like I saw a ghost because I did saw a ghost, right? Oh. And he's like, what's happening, sweetie? What can I do? Like, I mean, then, of course, this is me freaking out. Him not understanding what's going on, thinking that something is happening to me. And the people that saw that couldn't stop laughing. The director came and nobody was able to tell him what was going on. <laughs> Half of the people were laughing. I was still cr screaming. The other one still mortified about me. What happened to you? My dad jumped. Are you okay? You know, it was, yeah. And then I was like. The bats are probably flying no, around. Yes. Well, I think they even left. And uh, they were so scared of me, I guess, yelling. And, you know, and then my dad was like, what happened? And I was like, I thought he was dead and he's alive. And my dad was like. But that's a good thing. And I was like, I know. <laughs> it just took me, let's put it this way. It took me by surprise that he was alive. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the next time I'm going to wait like more time, you know, to see so that they, they cannot, you know, caught me off guard. <laughs> I think my problem is that I went in too, quick, too quickly. I went in too quickly to look for a doctor. I don't know. I think it was a good thing to go in No, quickly. well, yeah. But then, yeah, you, you should have seen me. <laughs> <laughs> you needed the doctor. Yes, I needed the doctor. What do you love most about Bridge? So many things that I, this is going to go on forever. But uh, to begin with, I love that it challenges me, right? I mean, that having that constant uh, challenge, I don't know, it makes me feel alive. I don't know how to say this. It's full of adrenaline. Like, I love it. I love it. And it's something that has the ability to surprise me every single time. I don't think I ever come back from playing bridge saying, oh, what a dull night or evening or day or tournament I had, right? It doesn't happen. Like, it's full of magic. The magic is always there somehow. I don't know how the magic is always there. The other thing that I love is I truly believe, and this is our, my personal values, right? I believe in a world where we actually were all treated equally and we're all equal, right? And the bridge table, although with its things, it's a place that makes that a reality. We're sitting together from all countries, from, you know, we have different age, religion, race, sex preferences, interests, languages, whatever, cultures, whatever you mention. And you can have four, the most four different people in the world sitting at a bridge table and we have a language in common. I've never found that in any other thing in the world, right? That's beautiful. And it's and it's beautiful. Like it's it's something that has nurtured my soul and my life so much. It makes me want to be a better person in every single way. Well, what doesn't get better than that? That's why I play. Given how much you love Bridge, has there ever been anything that's made you not so happy with Bridge? Unfortunately, I've already mentioned that it's a diverse group of people, and that is fantastic. But sometimes you also get 
the people that take advantage of maybe, I don't know if it's that diversity, the fact that you're a woman, both or young. And I have to say, I felt, and it's not only a feeling like harassed at the table. I've been told things that people shouldn't tell me, either that has to do with the way I look or my body or also like my capacity and my ability. And I think that it's something that if we don't stop it fairly quickly, can literally kill the game. It's uncomfortable, doesn't make you feel good, doesn't make you play good. And it's just a dark side of bridge, I think, that we should be more open about and talk about it more and implement the right policies so that we can stop this um, harassment, for lack of a better word. Sexual and non-sexual, you know what I mean? I think it is harassment. I think that is the word. Yeah. Yeah. That is exactly the word. And I know I'm not the only one, right? And I, and I, it really, I actually consider quitting. And I shouldn't do that with something that I love so much. Just because some people they t- tell me inappropriate things, right? Absolutely, yeah. No. And I feel that currently even directors are limited because I've gone to the director and they're limited in what they can do at the moment. So it's sort of like the damage is done. We need to do something to prevent it from happening. I don't, I don't think I have the answer right now, but I will be happy to contribute with whomever is interested in, in the topic as I am. So zero tolerance doesn't address it, you feel, sufficiently? No. And especially since English is my second language, what I've, when it has happened, I've been told something like, oh, she misunderstood it, blah, blah, blah. So like right at the time, you really can make a case for yourself. It's either that or like in world championships, but it's very expensive and that kind of thing where they record the tables and, you know, that would be fantastic because it, it then it's not she said, he said, right? Right. But I understand that it's an infrastructure issue attached to that. But yes. When I've tried to address it at the time, zero tolerance is not enough because, yes, there's, at least with me, the language where it's just always uh, used as a tool for gaslighting me. Well, that's very unfortunate, and I'm really sorry. Thank you for saying it. Yeah. Hopefully it will stop, you know? Hopefully everything happens for a reason. Maybe it happened to me so that I can help stopping it. Well, I'm sorry you had to go through it, but yeah, it sounds like you've been speaking out and addressing it where you can. Patricia, are there any particular policies or specific changes that are on your mind that you would like to see that would begin to improve this situation? I'm not an expert, but I know that the World Bridge Federation, for example, has a gender policy. I'm not sure the ACBL does. Like, for example, not even mentioning on the ACBL. And I think more needs to be done, at least what I've done is I asked for a copy of that gender policy and I want to review it and implement it, for example, in Mexico as part of, I'm president of the Mexican Bridge Federation, so I'm making sure it's implemented in Mexico through the federation, right? And if that proves to be successful, I want to share it with my Latin American counterparts, the Spanish-speaking countries, so that it can be implemented. And I said I took it from the World Bridge Federation, but I, I need someone, I mean, this is just new. I just started with that like a couple of weeks ago. It needs to be reviewed and standardized. Uh, but I think, yes, I I think there's more than we can do. I don't necessarily have right now all the best practices, but I know there are some policies out there that can be reviewed and ad- uh, adapted to the local countries and implemented. I hope so too. And if people have ideas, they can contact you? Of course, happily. The more the merrier. Do you have a favorite bridge convention or gadget? that you love to include in your agreement with your partner? 
I'm not a big fan of conventions. That's a whole philosophy kind of thing. I'm, I'm truly not a big fan. I feel that, you know, very little you can accomplish a lot. Not that my bidding doesn't need improvement. It's a different thing, right? But I don't like those cards filled out with like 100,000 conventions that then people don't know how to use and then they forget and mess up the system and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but I have, you know, you know what I mean? Like I I try to keep it, to keep it simple. Sure. And I've also found that at the very top level, sometimes their cards are very, very simple, right? Some people, friends of mine that have shared their, their systems, it's not that complicated. But my favorite ones have to be around splinters. I think you convey a lot of information with splinters. Slam interest, force, the shape, you actually name the suit where you're short in. Like, I don't know. It makes me happy to be a splinter. Is there a convention that you really hate when somebody asks you to play it? No. But I actually don't, and I try to be flexible, but I really, if I could, I don't like playing upside down. I like to play standard. Why? That is a very good question. Because Literally because my dad taught me like that, and I'm used to it, and I love it, and that upside down makes no sense to me. Nobody, I've asked several times, why is it better? And people say, Oh, I don't know. That's why I use it. If I don't know why it's better and I love standard, I don't know why I should be playing upside down, but I'm open to any suggestions or trying to convince me or my dad that would be a bigger challenge of using upside down. But I do use it if a, if a partner really wants to use it, you know, I do use it. What is the best bridge tip or advice that you've ever been given? A good friend of my dad, actually, that was a fantastic bridge player that he passed away, uh, you know, some years ago. He gave me, I think, the best, uh, you know, advice I was giving. He mentioned some golf player that every January he goes back to the basics. So every January I go back to bridge basics. I read my father's first notes. I read certain books again, right? I go back as if I was like a new player because sometimes it's easy to forget the stuff that got you started in the first place. And that is the solid foundation for playing. Patricia, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great talking to you. Thanks so much, Patricia. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much also for giving us a voice to smaller federations, like the Mexican one, that hopefully it will grow and we will have more Mexican players joining this magnificent sport. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Patricia Herrera. Thank you also to our sorry partner posse of listener supporters who make the show possible. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Jade Gray. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. Join the Sorry Partner Posse, purchase books through our site, explore the merch store. These links and links to Club Kvel are in your app, on the website at sorrypartner.com, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice, or we'll call the director. Until next time, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Patricia says, Take time every now and then to go back to the basics. Reacquaint yourself with the stuff that got you started in the first place. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. (laughs) Bye. Bye.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.